great to see you here today. My name is Melissa and I serve at our Tri-Village campus. Wednesday marks the first day of Lent, which is the 40-day season of waiting and fasting before Easter. This is the time to focus on our broken world and personal need for a Savior as we look towards the celebration of Resurrection Sunday. To help you draw closer to God during this time, we have two resources for you. Every weekday, you can join us on Instagram Live at noon to join our congregation in a prayer. Follow us on Instagram to get the latest. Also, our daily devotionals will guide us through Lent. You can sign up to get them delivered to your inbox at wheatonbible.org newsletter. Last, I wanna share a story with you from our Give Help, Get Help ministry. 
Recently, a single woman in our church was moving to a new home, but with less than a week before moving day, she learned that the people she had originally lined up to assist could no longer help. Knowing that she was distressed about this news and that she couldn't afford a moving company, one of our pastors reached out to our Give Help, Get Help team. Quickly, one of the Give Help team members made a generous offer. While he couldn't physically help with the move, he offered to cover the cost to hire a moving company. And a second Give Help team member was able to be with the woman during the move and help facilitate bilingual communication with the moving company and the rental office. What a beautiful picture of community. One Give Help member assisted financially and another contributed time and offered companionship. These acts of kindness combine to turn a distressing obstacle into an experience of blessing for a member of our church. Through your generosity, God is at work. If you're able, would you take a moment to consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry here? You can easily do this by visiting our website, wheatonbible.org give, or by mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. Would you stand here in the room? Let's sing together. Come, people of the risen King, who delight to bring Him praise. Come all and tune your hearts to sing the morning star of grace. From the shifting shadows of the earth, we will lift our eyes to Him. Where steady arms of mercy reach to gather children
Amen. We rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that He has made, and we are glad to be here and to be the church. Welcome to worship. If you're here in person, welcome to those joining us online. Worship with us. Sing with us. Participate with us. This is a time for the church where we gather, uh, and we gather as those that He has called from, his king, from the kingdom of darkness into His marvelous light. So as we sing, let us do so remembering these words from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Let's praise the name of Jesus today.
may be seated. Pray with me. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge. We just sang, oh, praise him, hallelujah, with our lips. And hopefully with our hearts. And we recognize that at the same time we have sinned against you. We have sinned against our neighbor this week and even today. We come to you and we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And we confess our sins to you. And we do so in faith because you have promised that those who confess their sins to you, through Christ they will be forgiven. You will not forsake and reject those who come to you in need of grace. And so we confess to you our unbelief. We confess to you our apathy toward your things, toward the things that you love and desire and command. Lord, we bring our hearts to you, trusting Jesus and him alone. So brothers, sisters, friends, let's take a time to confess before him privately before we sing. Jesus, you said that no greater love than this. And when one gives his life for his friends, thank you that you have called us friends, that you died for us, that you purchased for us forgiveness of sin forever, past, present, future. All our sin was laid on your shoulders, and you have given us your righteousness. So we receive that with joy. And we celebrate that we are forgiven. Oh, how deep is your love for us. Oh, Father, you are a good Father. And we thank you. And so we sing. Would you stand with us now? The Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory.
His words have paid my ransom. Lord, we are here today and we get to worship you and declare these beautiful things precisely because we have been set free in Jesus Christ. The reason why we worship today, Lord, and we can confess that you are our Lord and Savior is because we have been set free. Because we are no longer slaves to sin and the power of sin. And one day we know that we will be free from the presence of sin. And yet, Lord, we're still living in a broken world. In which we see and we get to experience things, Lord, that not only uh, do not give you glory, but it produces pain in us and a struggle in us. Lord, I don't know how many of my brothers and sisters today, I don't know how many of the people that are um, watching at home today are struggling with, with things like that. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that in the midst of everything that we go through, we may remember that we have been set free and one day we will be completely free of everything that is destructive. One day, this creation in itself would experience the freedom of the gospel. Lord, this is part of the reason why in the state of Illinois today, there are people asking our brothers and sisters, the Christian brothers and sisters, to compromise their convictions when they go into the classroom. Lord, I know that you have called them into those classrooms. 
I pray for your protection. We pray against anything that the devil is trying to do in our state. And we pray against the devil in everything that he's trying to do in our country today. Part of the reason why we are here is to remind others and to invite others into the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Allow us to live what we believe. Lord, we come before you because you are good, because you have loved us, because you love us and would always love us. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may take a seat. Church, let's read together and remember what God has done for his people and trust him that he will do it one day forever. Read these words with me. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The, the Lord, Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Would you stand with me?
familia you guys do know that when the spirit moves during the worship time it's okay to clap right how about if we give our worship team it was an amazing um, how not to preach after especially after that last song for those of you that don't know me my name is Hannibal Rodriguez one of the teachings pastors uh, here at church and whether you are here physically with us or you're connected with us at home I wanted to welcome you all again and say it is a privilege that we get to worship uh, together. For the last few weeks, um, we have been going through this section of the scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. And these are the last five hours that Jesus has spent with, with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And what Jesus is teaching during those five hours is what I will call some of the uh, essentials of Christianity. Not all the essentials of Christianity, but some of, some of the essentials of Christianity. Things that the disciples had to know, remember, and practice after Jesus will go into the presence of the Father. And one of the things that he, the, uh, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples, and he wanted, to, he wanted them to know and to remember, is that as Christians, as long as, as this world continued to be the way it is, 
As Christians, we will always experience hostility, enmity, and opposition. Let me say that again. That as long as this world continues to be the way it is, and the Bible says that it's going to stay this way until Jesus returns, as Christians, we are going to experience hostility, enmity, and opposition. Actually, the word that the text uses is the word persecution. Now, you would say, wow, Hannibal, this sermon is going to be awesome, uplifting. I'm so glad that I walked through this crazy weather to come to church and actually connect to this sermon. And I would say, um, it's actually a really good thing that we get to preach this sermon today. Not just because it is today, but because it's in the Bible. One of the beauties, one of the amazing things that we have as a church is that we are committed that if it's in the text, we got to preach it regardless if it's appealing or not, right? And I think that this is a topic that we all need. So if you are a believer already, this is important because it explains why he said that life is so difficult sometimes. And he tells you that you shouldn't be shocked or surprised or even discouraged when things like this happen because the Bible already told you and Jesus already told you that you were going to face that. But if you are here and you may be exploring Christianity or you're connected with us at home and you are uh, exploring Christianity, you got to listen to this sermon as well because he tells you that the Bible is honest about what we believe. One of the beautiful things about Christianity is that it tells you the beautiful things that we have in Jesus Christ, but it also tells you about the difficulties that we live out because of our Christianity. So to talk about this topic, we're going to look into John chapter 15 from verse 17, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 16, uh, the beginning of verse 4. John 15, starting in verse 17, all the way to John 16, the beginning of verse 4. Four. So if you have your Bible, please go there. If not, we're going to put the verses on the screen. I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word as a sign of reverence to Him and His Word. If you are still here and not frozen, could you please say, I'm here? I'm here. Not frozen. Awesome. Chapter 15, starting in verse 17. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. This is Jesus speaking. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me they will persecute you also. If they obeyed in my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have sinned, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. 
When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I, want, that I warn you about them. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. Lord, that we may be, able to see, may be able to see the reality of what it means to be a Christian in the midst of a broken world. Lord, and that we may not lose hope. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may take a seat. Uh, this text actually tells us three things about opposition and persecution. Number one, that you ought to expect it. So this is not for some Christians. This is for all Christians. Number two, that in order for you to deal with, it, with this, you must understand it. And number three is that there's the only solution is for us to face it. Expect it, understand it, and face it. Let's go with the first point. You ought to expect it. Jesus makes this extremely clear in two sections that we read. He makes it clear in chapter 15, verse 18, um, and then in verse 20. Look at what he says. If, if the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. In verse 20, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Notice that the text says that hate leads to persecution. And it is because we, uh, and the reason why we are persecuted is because we are hated first. The question you got to ask the text today is, why? Why is it that there is this persecution? Why is it that there is hate? Well, the text tells you is because we are living in this world. Now, the word, the, the word world in the text is not talking about this physical world um, per se, as, a, as the physical world as a negative thing. It's talking about the, the world from a, from a spiritual perspective. It's talking about this world in, it, that has different values or a worldview to the one that we possess as Christians. So if as Christians we have a different worldview and a different set of values, it is expected that the world will not understand it. And actually, it is expected that the world will not like it. If anything, every time that as Christians we profess something and we live in light of this worldview that we have, this set of values we have, actually the world, when they see that, they find it offensive and restrictive. This is the reason why we hate it by some. And this is the reason why Christianity is persecuted by some. Now, it's just important that you keep in mind that the problem is not with us directly, per se. The problem is with God. It's not a personal problem. It's a spiritual problem. That's why you shouldn't take it that personal when people go against you. At the end of the day, they're struggling not with you necessarily. They're struggling with God. Now, what I find interesting here, though, 
is that the text tells you that you will be persecuted by both the secular world and the religious world. Christians are not persecuted just by the secular world because we have different ideas and philosophies of life and values and convictions. But Christians are also persecuted by the religious world. That's actually what we see in chapter 16, verse 2. It says, they will put you out of the synagogue. Notice that this is talking about a religious group. This is a religious imagery. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you, they will think that they're offering a service to God. You see, that's, those are one of the things that as Christians we got to realize is that what we believe not only is offensive to the secular world, but it's also offensive to the religious world. The very people that claim to believe the same things that you believe. As a personal experience, I can say that whenever we challenge the people's biblical convictions, whenever you ask the question, where did you get that from? People don't like it and people will oppose you. If you cannot show it where you got it from, people won't like it and people will oppose you. As a personal experience, I could say that when I have challenged anybody, when we value our traditions above the scripture, people won't like it and people will oppose you. When you ask the question, why are you taking that part of the scripture and not this part of the scripture. People won't like it, and people will oppose you. When you ask the question, what are you adding to the scripture or subtracting from the scripture? People won't like you, and people will oppose you. This is the reason why 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, that means committed to Christ, committed to his word, in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. He doesn't say maybe you're going to be persecuted. If you misbehave, you're going to be persecuted. If you live in this part of the country, you're going to be persecuted. No, 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 no. You will be persecuted. Can you say persecuted? persecuted? Yeah, that's not inspiring, but that's a reality. You will be persecuted by the secular world and by the religious world. I actually think that this is... Why is so dangerous, my brothers and sisters, that we talk about this Christian utopia. That when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, everything is going to go well. You can live your best life now. Really? That's not in the scripture. I think that this is part of the reason why a lot of Christians or believers walk away from Christ. Actually, read, uh, hear this that the, the theologian D.A. Carson says. We are so often taught to think that the Christian way brings blessings without buffetings, triumphs without trials, witness without weariness. We are encouraged to believe that Christians display overcoming joy and rarely face discouraging defeat. That they live in a land of constant excitement and never wrestle with boredom. That they love and are loved and need not confront persecution, ostracism, or exclusion, hate, rejection. That they are self-confident and enthusiastic and never taste terror, loneliness, doubt. That they are fulfilled and satisfied. This is the danger of promising a crown 
I'm sorry, a, a, yeah, a crown without the cross. Listen, I, I don't want to be David Downer today. But I'm going to. Because that's what the text says. This is the reality of what it means to, to be a Christian. You have no idea how many people have told me, I didn't sign up for this. I was promised victory all the time, to be triumphant all the time. And I, I have to say, listen, the problem was not with that. The problem is that Christianity is much more than that. You got part of the message, brother. You got to ask the question, why would Jesus spend so much time talking about this, especially if he's going away? That doesn't seem like a positive message. Well, I think that part of the reason why Jesus was extremely clear about this is because he knew that opposition, persecution, not only makes you question your Christianity, but it has the potential to lead you away from Jesus. That's why in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 1 says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. The phrase fall away is where we get the word scandal. Scandalizo will be in the original. In the original. And, it lead, and it has two different definitions. It means to be shocked and it means to cease to believe. So this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Be prepared for this. Be aware of this because if you are expecting something different, not only you will be shocked, but there's a possibility that you will walk away from me. And I would say you will compromise your convictions. What is the solution then? Well, Martin Luther King Jr., he gave this sermon called Shattered Dreams. And he's talking to this group of believers that are fighting for justice and equality but are losing hope. And he describes the, the dynamics of the heart when someone is facing opposition. He says that there are three tendencies when people are facing opposition. Number one is you become a bitter person or, or you're full with resentment. You know what that means? When you start to hate the very people that hate you, which is counter-Christian. Counter the second behavior, he says, is when you have this attitude of detachment in which you try to escape and you become a cynic or a pessimist. But that is, that's not Christianity either. And the last one, he says, is when you become a fatalist. And the fatalist is the one that says, ah, it is what it is. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, that's not how you face opposition. One of the ways you face opposition, one of the answers to be able to continue going in the midst of these struggles, and I quote, the answer lies in our willing acceptance of unwanted and unfortunate circumstances. Accepted. The answer lies in our willingness, in our willing acceptance and unwanted and unfortunate circumstances, even as we still cling to a radiant and infinite hope. I love that. He doesn't say pretend that nothing is happening here. No, accept it as you cling to the hope that you have. That's something similar to what Jesus is doing here, don't you think? He's telling the disciples, don't be shocked by this. Don't be surprised by this. When you experience persecution and opposition, you are in a, in a world that is a secular world. You are surrounded by religious people. Expect it. 
If they hated me, what makes you think that they're not going to hate you? But don't lose hope. Don't walk away. Because I'm doing something in the midst of all of this. Expect it. Second point, in order for you to expect it, you must understand it. And the text shows us three specific reasons why, why we face persecution and opposition. Three specific things. Um, and I think that every single one of them is extremely uh, important. Let me give it to you really quick. Part of the reason why we will face, we face uh, persecution, is because we love different, we believe different, and we have experienced something different. We love different, we believe different, and we have experienced something different. Look at the love different. Chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. Verse 19. If you belonged to the world, it will love, it will love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world. That's important to keep in mind. The reason why Christians suffer because of their faith is because we don't belong here. Our heart is not attached to these things here. Our heart is attached to something else. Our heart loves other things. Our heart loves Christ above everything else. Our heart is ruled by him and nothing else. Our Lord is Christ and nothing else. Part of the reason why we will, we will be persecuted and face opposition is because we think different, we live different, we love different. We love different things. And the moment you choose to love something different, people won't like it. Our ideas are different, our worldview is different, our values are different, our convictions are different, our alliances are different, our priorities are different, our work ethic are different, our relationships are different. And the moment you choose to leave that out, people won't like it. Actually, my challenge to you today is that as you live in your Christianity, you have not experienced this. You really, really have to question your Christianity. Or you're living in a box. So my first year as a Christian, um, I was part of a soccer team. I converted my first year of college. Um, I was like 13, 14. Um, Actually, no, 21. It took you a while to actually get down there. But I was part of a soccer team, and we were known uh, for two things. And I'm not bragging, but I am. We were really good. The team was really, really good. So everyone hated us because of that, right? Like in, I think that in a single year, we won like five different championships. Um, but the second thing, well, we were, the reason why we were known is because we like to fight. Now, it's interesting, in full disclosure, because this is family, right? So in full disclosure, uh, I was not the type that, you know, get in front of people and say, come on, come on, I'll beat you up. I was never like that. I was more like a fighter that I, was, that I would say that mastered the skill of hit and run. Boom! You know, <laughs> let somebody else deal with that stuff after, right? Um, 
But one of the things that the, that the Lord had to deal with me in my first year as a Christian was precisely that. That even if I had mastered the skill of hit and run, I needed to stop that. You know, that I, that I, that I should not respond, that I should not pick a fight, that I, that I would just try to do my best, you know, play my best and, and let it be, right? I actually made myself this under t-shirt, people, that said, I play for Jesus. So when we're warming up, I'll make sure that everyone will see that t-shirt, right? Like, you know, and do this kind of stuff. But as, as anything that the Lord does, he would test my alliances to him. And the moment I made public that I'm a Christian, that my life is changed, that I play for Jesus, uh, this fight uh, breaks out in the middle of the game. And actually, I walk away from the fight. They're going crazy over there. I walk away, right? And these guys, you know, when you're in a fight, if you've ever been in a sport like that, right? Uh, you start a fight, you just try to punch anybody. It doesn't matter how it is. So they go, they see me over there, and they run to me, and there's two guys trying to punch me, right? And I just reacted. Remember that I had been living in that world for a while. So I just reacted. People come to me, and I'm, boom, boom, you know? And, and that's it. Listen up. Within seconds, within seconds, I feel this conviction. And I'm asking the question, why did I do that? Here, and I start crying in front of everybody. And everyone asks me, why are you crying? You just beat the guys up, and you didn't run. But it was inside. And from that point on, everyone made fun of me. Because I cried after a fight. That day I learned that following Jesus will be costly. I will lose my friends. I will be misunderstood. I will be rejected. I will feel lonely. Because I was committed to have God as my ultimate alliance. To be in alliance to him. Because I decided to choose God above everything else. Even soccer, even my friends. Actually... What took me out of playing soccer was precisely that. The following week, we played again, and there was another fight, and I let people beat me up. And now people are saying, you're such a fool. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We love different. Not only we love different, but we are committed to an ultimate truth. This is chapter 15, verse 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teachings, they will also obey yours. And the idea here is that if people obey God, it's because they obey his teachings, because they think that his teachings are truth. If people don't obey God, it's because they don't believe that his teachings are truth. We are part of a world in which Christians must profess that we believe in the ultimate truth, that the Bible is truth. It's not truth plus something else. It, this is the truth. We are part of a culture in which no one believes in absolute truths. Of course you're going to be persecuted. We are part of a culture in which everyone has their own truth. That the truth is based on what we feel, not, what, not based on what the Bible says. 
So the moment you claim to say, this is what I believe, because the Bible tells me so, you will face opposition. We are welcome when we say, God is love. But we face opposition when we say, God is also holy and requires holiness. You will be welcome when you say, God wants to give you, make you happy. Which is true. But you will face opposition when you say, God called you to die to yourself. We will be welcome when we say, God welcomes everyone the way they are. You will face opposition when you say, but he won't leave you the way you are. We are welcome when we say God wants to bless you, but we will face opposition when we say God wants your life, not your religion. I was reading a section of uh, C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity, again. And it's interesting because what he says there, I think, is what causes problems between Christians and everybody else. This is what he says. God says to us, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. He says, no half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self in my image. That's the truth. Well, no wonder people have issues with the stuff we say. There's no halfway commitment. Give yourself away. That's the truth. So we, we struggle with this, and the world is going to struggle with us because, because we love different, and they struggle with us because we, we believe in the ultimate truth. And lastly, because we have experienced something different. Chapter 15, verse 21. They will treat you this way because of my name. Notice that you're not supposed to suffer because you were annoying to somebody else. You're, you're supposed to suffer because of Jesus' name. For they do not know the one who sent me, chapter 16, verse 3. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. The reason why I use the word experience there is because in the Western world, whenever we see the word know, we think that this is just an academic thing up here. But to know God, to know the Father, to know Jesus is to have experienced the Father, have experienced Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not just knowledge, it's an experience. Well, it is hard for people to understand why you are the way you are if they have not experienced that. See, when it comes to opposition and persecution, you ought to expect it. Because the world will hate you the same way they, hate, they hated Jesus. And they hate you because you love different. And they hate you because um, you, you claim to have the truth that the Bible says it is, right? 
and because you have experienced something different. That is the painful but honest and realistic truth of what it means to be a Christian. So the question is this. How do we face it? And why we should face it? Point number three. There's three words here, actually three concepts here, that I find amazing to me, like amazing. All three concepts have to do with the, uh, start with the letter C, for you to remember. In order for you to face this, and to actually understand why is it that this is worth it, you need companionship, you need conviction, and you need a counselor. Companionship, conviction, and a counselor. In companionship, we have that in chapter 15, verse 17. This is my command, love each other. And then in verse 17 it says, well, you will be hated. Now for different scholars, um, verse 17 is not supposed to be part of this section. Actually, in some of your Bibles, like in my Bible, 17 is attached to the section that came before. The problem with verse 17 is that that's a transitional verse. Meaning, in my opinion, that that verse can be connected to what came before and also is connected to what comes after. If that is true, and I believe it is, then what Jesus is saying is that we are going to live in this world in which we are hated and persecuted and experience opposition. One of the evidences of God's grace, one of the means of grace of God to you in the midst of all this pain is to, to be surrounded by other believers. If the world is going to hate you, make sure that you love one another. If the world is going to hate us, make sure that we learn to love one another. To weep when everyone weeps, to rejoice when everyone rejoices, to feel what our brothers and sisters feel, to be willing to sacrifice for the people we love. This is Jesus saying, the only way you're going to make it is when you learn how to love one another. Actually, the word love is present progressive. Continue to love one another. Second thing that you need is conviction. Chapter 15, verse 27. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The word testify is an amazing word because it has a double meaning in the original. It means to share, right? with words and with actions, what you believe. But it also means to be willing to give your life away for what you believe. I am convinced of this. That the only people that make it in this world is the people that have strong convictions. Not wishy-washy convictions. Like strong convictions. This is why Martin Luther King said, in the midst of everything that you go through, be willing to go through all of that, but cling to, his, to hope. And I would say, cling to the truth of the scripture. Cling to everything that the Bible says about God, his character, his na nature, his promises, his plans. Cling to that. Cling to the reality that you are being loved and forgiven and accepted. Cling to that. Cling to that 
all the time, at all times, regardless of what you go through. Cling to that. Cling to that even if the secular people don't like you or the religious people don't like you. Cling to that. Conviction. Conviction. I watched a movie once. That's how the Lord speaks to me. In which the leader said, people don't follow titles. People follow convictions. I think that's true. And yet, there's one conviction that is the mother of all convictions. The conviction that is going to hold you to the very end. One conviction. And it's the conviction of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and who you are to him. And this is one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is so important. And that's why he is the counselor. You know, the Holy Spirit is translated in different names. Here in the text, it's called the advocate, but actually can be translated as the counselor. And it doesn't matter which name, name you pick, it's the same principle. Chapter 16, verse 26. I'm sorry, uh, it's not 26. Chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And this is what he's saying. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all these struggles and pain that Christians will face here, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit, so you don't grow bitter or, or have resentment, so you don't try to escape and become a cynic or a pessimist, or you become a fatalist, the only way that you actually get to push through all of this is when you cling to the conviction of who Jesus is, what Jesus did for you, and what you are to him. That's why the Holy Spirit testify about him. So let me give you something really quick. When you struggle, all you have to do is go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And you will see everything you are in Jesus, even as you struggle. So let me give you some of those. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. In Jesus, you have all the spiritual blessings. In Jesus, verse 4, in Jesus, you have been chosen before the creation of the world, and you have been declared holy and blameless in Jesus. In verse 5, in Jesus, you have been loved, predestined, adopted, and God takes pleasure in you. In verse, chapter six, in verse 6, in Jesus, you have, been, you have received the grace of God. In verse 7, you have been redeemed and you have been forgiven. In verse 8, in Jesus, you are wise and have understanding. In verse 11, in Jesus, you have been chosen. In verse 13, you have been included and you have been saved. In verse 14, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and you are God's possession. In verse 15, in Jesus, you are in line for an inheritance. And in verse 15 tells you that all of that, God did for the glory of his name. That is the conviction, the mother of all convictions. That is the only way you face what we face. And then we can actually sing and say, whatever my Lord you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Do you know why we love different? Because we have been loved different. Do you know why 
Uh, we believe the truth of the Bible because the truth came to us in Jesus Christ. Do you know why we have experienced something different? Because we experience God at a person in, in a personal way. In the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit with us and in us. That's how you face it. Expect it, understand it, face it. Let's pray. Lord, we are we are grateful of the honesty for the honesty of the Bible. Lord, please forgive us when we forget that this is what it means to be a Christian in this broken world. Lord, please forgive us when we have false expectations and we actually complain to you because things don't go according to our plans. Lord, please give us the courage and the convictions necessary to love you the way we're supposed to, to believe the things that we're supposed to believe because of everything that we have experienced and that as we do that, the world may see that we have something different. Please make it happen. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen, church. And I'm going to ask you to remain seated. And as we sing this, um, as I sing it, Join me in praying this song. Make it a prayer uh, for us. Your will be done. Your will be done, my God and Father, as in heaven so on My heart is strong to self-exalting. Help me seek your kingdom first. As Jesus walked, so I shall walk. Held by your same unfailing love. Be still, my soul. Oh, lift your voice and pray. Father, not my will, but yours be done. I may never fully know the fearful weight of true obedience. It was held by Him alone. What wondrous faith to bear that cross, to bear my sin. What wondrous love. My hope was sure when there my Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When I am lost, when I am broken, in the night of fear and doubt, still I will trust in my good Father. Yes, to one great King I bow. As Jesus rose, 
so I shall rise in ransom glory at the throne my heart restored with all your saints I sing Father not my will but yours be Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us, the conviction that sustains us as we leave this place. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. Mm -hmm.